there are some things that are that we're doing, and and they can be good things. It's not necessarily bad things, but if you don't have peace about it, we have new seasons. I'm just letting. I just want you to know that we need to really stay in tune with the Holy Spirit and let Him lead God and direct us. And you know that by peace. Being in His, being in His presence right now, you know you had peace. You had peace. You had just it was just peace. But I'm just asking you to evaluate the things in your life, and if you don't have peace about that. Please stop and look at it. And I just pray for decisions that have to be made. I just, I don't know what it is. There's just, just decisions. I just pray that right now, Father, if it is not your will, that you just shut the door. And whenever it shuts, Father God, that that person's going to have peace about it. Father, we love you. Isn't it awesome that we don't have to rely on ourselves to make these decisions? Because how many many has ever made decisions that you're just like, oh, my word? Yeah, exactly. God, you're so good. And healing wants the best for us. Okay, so we're going to transition. We're just going to keep worshiping through our giving. So if you would say with me, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8, you may give. And by the way, resurrection seed offering to date as of yesterday, $8,086. So thank you so much. Good morning, everybody. Teddy, can you take me down just a little bit? Thank you. Nick, are we online, sir? Awesome. Well, everyone in-house, say good morning to everyone online. One more time. Oh, y'all, that second time was really weak. Let's do it again. That was just a tiny bit better. One more time. Thank you. Takes a little poking and prodding, but we get there every time. It's all good. I'm good at uh, poking and prodding. Just ask my wife. 
<laughs> Good morning, everybody. Uh, those of you who don't know me, my name is Josiah Hodge. I'm the lead pastor and servant here at Crossroads World Outreach Center, and it is an honor to have you with us today. Miss Pat, will you bring up that report for me? Awesome. We're going to stop and pause right there. I want to give a huge shout out to a handful of people who came yesterday and cut down those trees in front of the activity center and took down the light poles to be refurbished and retrofitted for LED lights. I'm going to try to make sure I hit everybody. C.E. Chavis, Bradley Fry, Tony Fry, Mr. William Hooper right here, uh, C.E. and Deca I already said C.E. Dakota and Harrison, um, Mr. John, Miss Pat. Is that everybody? Did I get him? Miss Lamont. How could I forget Lamont Fry? But hey, guys, let's give a round of applause for all those who came out. Yo, they worked hard yesterday morning. Seriously, thank you guys so much. Now, they were out here for hours. They were all drenched in sweat. I'm like, man, thank y'all so much. Hard workers. But I just wanted to give all of them a shout out because that really means a lot to me that they would give of their time on a Saturday morning to come out there in the heat and sweat and do work for the church. But I have a little ministry report I want to walk through with you, with you all as it is a little update on some of the special projects we've done over last year into this year, but also some ministry reports that we don't necessarily talk about. But I want you all to know about the good that Crossroads is doing because I want you to know that you're a part of something that's helping people, a part of something that's bringing hope to people. So, Ms. Pat, if you go to that first slide for me. Number one is our outreach ministry. And y'all, this is just the first quarter. So this is January through March. A, a total of 143 households were served during our monthly pantry days. Not just 143 people, 143 households. Y'all, that's a lot. So outreach ministry, thank you so much for your diligent efforts to serve the people of this community. A total of 47,070 pounds of food have been received and distributed. Wow. That is a lot of food. So thank you so much, outreach ministry. You guys are a blessing. Here's an update from our Grief Share program from this past year as they're getting ready to start this year in the upcoming months. 17 people enrolled in the program. The reason I put that on there, because that is amazing. That means people know that we're offering this program, y'all, because grief is not something you just wake up and get over one day. It's a process that you need people helping you and walking through the process with you. So I wanted to point out 17 people because that means that uh, Ms. Dawn Cole leading her group are reaching people, are reaching actually a pretty large group, and 13 people finished and graduated from the program, which is amazing. Y'all, let's hear it for that program. That's awesome. Our truck ministry project, which most of you know about, is where we go out and we help those who can't help themselves when it comes to the fact of doing lawn care for them. And last year, in 2022, we had 12 truck ministry projects, y'all. 12. That is awesome. And this year, thus far, we've had four. Let's hear it for our truck ministry. And there are those of you in here who've been blessed by that ministry. Um, and I'm so thankful for that group of men who go out and women who come out and take care of people in our community, but also in our church. And as you know, our 2023 golf tournament is right around the corner. What? Literally, what, 11 days? Yeah, 11 days away? Yes, Don Cole's like, yes, we're almost there. She's been working her, her fanny off for about, what, six months now? So she's ready for that culmination. Uh, but in 2021, they raised $16,000. And this past year, $26,000 for a grand total of $42,000 donated to the Turbyville Children's Home over the past two years. That's incredible. And 14 total bathrooms have been renovated and touched up. So thank you, Don Cole and Pat Mobley, for letting Holy Spirit birth that passion inside of you. And we're super excited to see what he's going to do this year through you guys. So extremely excited about that. This year in January, we did a coat drive for the real church. I kind of sprung it on you guys last minute. I think I gave you like two and a half weeks, but I just want to give you some of the total numbers. You guys brought in 158 coats and jackets, 31 pairs of pants, 92 shirts, 29 blankets, a bunch of odd end things, but donated items, 409 total donated items. Thank you guys so much. That is absolutely incredible. In two and a half weeks, 409, and I loved how you guys shared it with your families, because I had people coming I had never met before who were like your cousin and your auntie. I had no idea who they were bringing clothes to the front office. I'm like, oh, awesome. That's amazing. So I'm glad you guys shared that around. And last but not least, I told y'all we were hitting the turbo charge going into 2023, and I was not lying. I'm a man of my word. Let's look at our 2023 projects that have been completed. Number one is our nursery expansion completed. 
Our volunteer headquarters, by the way, if you get here early to serve, our volunteer headquarters is completed. Our Seawalk podcast has been started. We've just put in a new AC unit up here. We have put in new LED lights in the activity center. The trees in front of the activity center have been cut down, and the light poles around the sanctuary have been taken down and are being refurbished. Y'all, I told y'all we were hitting the ground running this year. That's a lot to accomplish in just three short months, and I'm super excited for what Holy Spirit has us in the days to come. But that's our little update. That's our little ministry report. I just want you all to stay in tune and updated on what Crossroads is doing in this season and where we're going. I'm excited about what's happening. I'm excited about what we're doing for the community. But if you would turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 is where we're mainly going to be today, starting in verse 16. Luke chapter 4. And when you get there, will you please stand with me as I pray for us before we get started today. Will you please raise your hands to heaven with me if you are willing to receive what we believe Holy Spirit is going to give us today. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day. We thank you that even though Easter was last week, we are still celebrating your resurrection. We thank you for living the perfect life, dying the death we could not die, and rising again three days later, Jesus. We thank you that we get to be immersed into your life and your death and your resurrection, that we get to live the abundant life because you came to give it to us, and that when you were on that cross, you cried out, it is finished, and we believe that today. We believe that you finished the work, and now we get to walk in this new covenant life because of what you have done. And Jesus, we just thank you for bringing us all out here safely for this time to gather. I pray you open our hearts, our minds, and our ears to receive what is going to be said today. I pray that you open up the scriptures to us, Jesus, and that we encounter you in a new way. In your mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. And really today, y'all, I just, I want to encourage you. As I am encouraged by Jesus, I want to turn around and encourage you as we look at the words of Jesus today, as we look at what he said Um, in Luke chapter 4. But before we can get to Luke chapter 4, we need to go to Leviticus chapter 25 real quick. And you don't got to turn there. I'll read it. I have it right here. Leviticus chapter 25 verses 8 through 12. And today's sermon is entitled Jubilee is here. Leviticus chapter 25 starting in verse 8 going through verse 12. You are also to count off seven Sabbaths of years for yourself seven times seven years that you have the time of seven Sabbaths of years. That is 49 years. This is God talking to Moses, laying this out in Leviticus. This is happening during the same time as the book of Exodus. This is God giving to Moses what he wants him to know. You shall then sound a ram's horn abroad on the 10th day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, you shall sound a horn all through your land. So you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim a release through the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you, and each of you shall return to his own property, and each of you shall return to his family. You shall have the 50th year as a jubilee. You shall not sow nor harvest its aftergrowth, nor gather grapes from the untrimmed vines, for it is a jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You shall eat its fruit and produce from the field. So the reason I read this is because the passage we're about to get into, Jesus is mirroring something that we see here. And the year of Jubilee was very important in the book of Leviticus because in a world where it was all an eye for an eye, where the powerful takes from the weak, God is trying to really implement something beautiful in the people of Israel. Why? Because they are now his people. They're his set-apart people, and now slowly but surely, he's shifting and changing their minds because we have to understand, they were in captivity to the Egyptians for 200-plus years. So their whole culture and identity was what? It was an Egyptian one. Their understanding of the world was an Egyptian understanding. Their identity was an Egyptian identity. Y'all, this is generations past. They don't remember where their forefathers came from. They know the stories, but it's none of their experiences. And so God steps into their story, and all they know is that the Egyptians are powerful, and they reign and rule over people by power. And God is stepping in, and he's changing the script, and he's saying it's not the powerful that will rule forever, but the powerful will actually give to the weak. The powerful will actually give to the poor. And so the year of Jubilee, this is what happened. In the year of Jubilee, it was the 50th year. It was a year of rest. It was a seven times seven year cycle. And the year of Jubilee, all prisoners and captives were set free. 
All slaves were released, all debts were forgiven, and all property was restored to its original owner. So God implements this into the history of humanity. And the beauty of this is if somehow you lost your family's inheritance in the 50th year, your grandchildren or children would then get back the property and it would be restored to your family's name. And so God is trying to what show a foreshadowing of what was to come of redemption and reconciliation and restoration for all people. And so God is implementing this restoration process into a society where the power don't rule forever, but they also give power to the weak and to the meek. And so it was a year of freedom restoration and redemption, but it was a literal year of freedom. People were literally set free. It was a literal year of restoration. So they were actually given back their property and it was a literal year of redemption. You owe no more debts. You owe no more property or money to everyone. And so God implements this in this really beautiful way that the father starts to provide for all people. And he starts to, to show a shadow of the one who was to come. But however, as we see throughout the whole Testament, the Israelites are taken into captivity time and time and time again. And the cycle of Jubilee years are broken. Why? Because they no longer own property. They were the ones who were debtors. They were the ones who were captives. They were the ones who were slaves to other nations. They didn't have anything to give back to other people because they didn't have anything. It was taken from them. They were in exile. They were in bondage and they're in captivity for close to 500 years when Jesus comes on the scene. So this cycle of Jubilee, they know what it used to be. They know the stories of it. They know what the prophet Isaiah said, that there would be one who would come and Jubilee would reign on the earth through this Messiah. They knew the stories, but it had been 500 years since the cycle had been broken. They know the stories. They know what it's about. They've never experienced it. It's not their culture. They just know at one point their ancestors lived in this and they experienced this. And this is the world that Jesus comes into. So let's pick up Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 16. Luke chapter 4. This is after Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. This is at the very beginning of his public ministry when he starts going into the synagogues. And I love Jesus because Jesus doesn't pull any punches. He goes right at it. Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on, his, on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord." And he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he said to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your very hearing. And all were speaking well of him and wondering at the gracious words which, which were falling from his lips. And they were saying, is this not Joseph's son? We're going to stop right there in the passage and we're going to pick up in a minute. But first, I want to point out that Jesus is reading from Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 2. And so let, let, let's read that passage. I have it right here. I'll read it. Just write it down if you're taking notes. Isaiah 61, 1 through 2 says this, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim release to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. So what is Jesus saying? In verse 19, Jesus says this, and this is highly important. He says, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Well, what is that? That's the year of Jubilee. That's the year that they had heard about. That's the year that they knew at one point their ancestors enjoyed because the beauty of Jubilee is it didn't matter what type of desert season you were in, you knew hope was coming. If you could just hold on a little bit longer, if you could just cling on a little bit longer, there would be something sprouting out of the desert land. There was hope of restoration. There was hope of redemption. There was hope of these things as long as you held on for the year of Jubilee. And once again, the year of Jubilee, all prisoners and captives were set free. All slaves were released. All debts were forgiven. and All property was restored to its original owner. I don't know about you, but for a people who were enslaved for 500 years, you longed for that day. You cling to hope that one day your descendants will see the day that you were not able to see. And you cling on to the hope 
that God was faithful in his promise and one day it would come to pass. And Jesus comes on the scene and he reads this scripture. They would have heard this scripture before because they had a liturgical cycle. They would read these scriptures on the specific days of the year. So they heard this scripture before, but it's not just the fact that Jesus reads the scripture. Jesus actually edits verse two of Isaiah. Wait, wait, what? Wait, what? How did Isaiah end and how did Jesus end? Isaiah ends this way, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. Wait, what? Jesus says it this way, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, and he ends it. Whoa, whoa, Jesus edits the scriptures? Actually, time and time again, Jesus edits the scripture because Jesus is the true word of God, not the Bible. The scriptures are holy. They are set apart for God's purposes, but Jesus is the very word of God. So next time you go to say, I live by everything in this Bible, you may not be living by Jesus. You see, because it's in the heart of man to seek out vengeance. But last time I saw, Romans tells us, don't seek vengeance for yourself, for vengeance is due to the Lord. Let him handle it. And we don't even know what that looks like. So what is Jesus saying? Take the vengeance out of your hands and give it to the Father because he'll do what's right. And Jesus edits the scriptures, and they're like, what What in the world? Jesus is editing the scripture, but maybe the vengeance of God wasn't meant for people, but towards the things that harm people. We'll we'll get on that. In verse 21, Jesus makes a huge statement. Let's look at verse 21. (laughs) Right, Jesus speaks of the year of Jubilee that they had been waiting for for hundreds of years. And in verse 21, Jesus says this, and he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now for him to say that, that has very, very, very direct implications of what they assumed. Now they are really assuming this is the Messiah who's coming for war. Ha! He is coming to take back all of our possessions by might. He is coming to set all of us free by the sword. And now we will have everything restored to us, our homeland, through war, through violence, through power, because that's what they assumed would happen. Why not? That's how everyone conquered in the world. That's how people conquer in the world today. Why would we not assume it was by power and by the sword that Jesus would come in and conquer? So Jesus makes this statement. I can just imagine in the back of their head, they're saying, okay, revolution is coming. I could assume the young men are starting to prepare themselves because they're going to be called to war. They're going to be called to a revolt. And Jesus makes this statement. Everyone starts, the wheels start turning. Why? Because everyone who had claimed to be Messiah before Jesus came with the sword. They raised up an army and they attacked the Roman government and it never turned out well for them because the Roman Empire was surrounding of the whole world, the largest military might on the earth. So Jesus makes this statement, today it has been fulfilled. So what are they thinking? Revolution is coming. Revolution is coming. We're going to be set free. Why? Because they were in captive to real captors. You need to understand, they were not thinking from a spiritual sense. They were living in captivity. If you are a slave to another human being, you're not thinking of spiritual liberation. You're thinking of a physical liberation. You're thinking someone has to come in here, take the power away from the strong man, and liberate me from their authority. Because I don't have power to do so myself. And people, it shows, they get excited. Is this the season that our, our children, our grandchildren are set free from the rule of the captors. And you see, I think oftentimes, we're, we're expecting the same thing from Jesus. I, I think oftentimes, we're so desperate in this life for a new job, better income, our marriage is a hot mess, that we're so desperate for for a physical freedom, a physical restoration, a physical redemption, that we forget the fact that Jesus did not just come for our experience in this life, but to prepare one to come. And I believe in the American church, we've read the words of Jesus, and we've fallen into the same trap as the Israelites of expecting Jesus to come with a sword and wipe out all of our problems rather than to transform us in the midst of them. And they think Jesus has come for this physical jubilee, but I'm here to tell you that Jesus came for jubilee of the soul. Jesus came to liberate those, the entire world, who is in captivity of sin, death, and the devil. 
Jesus did not come for a physical liberation, but a spiritual liberation. He did not come to just set you free from your physical state in this life, but he came to set you free from the state of your soul, the darkness, the domain of darkness that keeps control over you. And Jesus makes this statement and is very different than they were imagining. But the beauty of this is this. Jesus said, I came to bring salvation to the world. Salvation in Greek is the word sozo. And actually, sozo and jubilee happen to be the same thing. Because in the year of jubilee, captives were set free. People were restored back to the original state and standing. And they were redeemed from their debts. Sozo salvation means deliverance. It means setting the captives free. It means wholeness. It means being restored. It means that you have been bought back through redeeming your body. And so Jesus comes and he said, Jubilee is here, but it's not going to come from the outside. It's coming from right here. It's not just going to be a change of your state in this life, but your soul will be transformed from bondage to freedom, from broken to restored, from in debt to redeemed. And so Jesus speaks this to a people who are experiencing actual physical indebtedness, actual physical slavery, but he's speaking to something different than they could see. And I'm here to tell you today that Jesus is usually speaking to something different than we can see. And in the church, listen, there's nothing wrong with wanting miracles and wonders and signs, but Jesus actually said miracles and wonders are signs are for unbelievers, not believers. Faith is for those who believe in me. And I think oftentimes we as believers commit the same, same what we're about to read. The Jews said, can, and he, Jesus quotes this. He says, surely you'll say this proverb, do what you've been doing in other cities here. Because Jesus said a prophet is never welcome in his hometown. And I think oftentimes we, we commit the same travesty. It's that we're always asking for miracles and wonders, but we rarely ask for him to transform our souls. And we're stuck, we're stuck in a place of bondage to different things. Let's say it's lust. Let's say it's anger. Let's say it's these things. Let's say it's vengeance. And we're stuck in captivity to these things. And instead of saying, Jesus, transform me and set me free from these things, we're too worried about the state around us that we don't let him transform our very beings. You see, because Jesus has always been more concerned about your soul than your body. This is why he told the disciples, pick up your cross and follow me, because he knew that their bodies would die, but their souls would live. Jesus has always been more concerned about these things than these people who are waiting for a physical day of deliverance. And Jesus says, Jubilee was a mere shadow of me. I'm going to say it again. Jubilee was a mere shadow of Jesus because Jubilee was once every 50 years, but in Jesus, there's always freedom. In Jesus, there's always restoration. In Jesus, there's always redemption. And so Jesus comes on the scene and he says these things and they start, the wheels start to turn. But let's look at Colossians 1, 13 through 14. Paul's writing about Jesus, and it's really a declaration, a proclamation, and just bragging on what Jesus and the Father and Holy Spirit have done. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. So who is Jesus? Jesus is Jubilee. I'm going to say it again because so many of us Christians are always saying, I need my deliverance. I need my breakthrough. Jesus is your deliverance. Jesus is your breakthrough. Your breakthrough is not always going to be a, a better financial situation. It's not always going to be a better marriage. It's actually how you walk in those things that is your jubilee. Jesus will set you free from the anger and frustration you are facing in that season. So therefore you face that season better. Because it's not always about the test getting easier. It's about transforming you while you're walking through the test. And so often we're like, Jesus, just free me from this. And Jesus is like, no, I need you to walk through the wilderness to find true hope. Because only when you go into the wilderness is true hope progressed inside of you. Because only when you are hopeless do you find true hope. It is only when you lose everything you think you know that you find Jesus and you place your faith in him. Because he's the only thing you got. And it's that little smidgen of hope that you hold on to. And it's in that wilderness that he starts to take off the anger. He starts to set you free. But I also think in the church, we make a statement that I'm sorry, but I absolutely hate it. And some of y'all are probably going to be mad. But people say, I read the end of the book and we win. 
You don't win then, you've already won. Oh my goodness, on the cross he said, it is finished. Y'all, the devil is not winning right now. I'm going to also say something that's going to blow y'all's mind. The world is not worse than it's ever been. The problems we're having now have always been the problems the world has had. Jesus has already won, and his church is progressing throughout the earth. The church is on every continent in almost every single country in the world. You're telling me we haven't won? Jesus already defeated sin, death, and the devil. 1 John chapter 3 tells us this, that the Son of God was manifest to destroy the works of the devil. Has Jesus already been manifest in the flesh? Then what's already been destroyed? The works of the devil. No captor no longer has a hold on you because Jesus is Jubilee and the captives have been set free. And I'm going to make an even bigger statement. No one is actually a captive. You choose to be. Jesus said it is finished. Every chain has been broken. People just don't know that they're free. Did you know... When the Emancipation Proclamation came out, there was about a 40-year period where some slaves did not know they were free. The news had not gotten to them. But I'm here to tell you today, it is the church's job to proclaim freedom to the captives. Some people just don't know that they're free. But we preach as if people are in captivity. We preach as if Jesus has not already won. I refuse to have that defeated, nasty Christian mentality. I refuse to walk in defeat when my Jesus is victorious. I don't have to live in captivity to pass trauma, to pass hurt, to pass toxic behaviors. I am free in Jesus here and now, not one day at the end of a book, but here and now I walk with Jesus in victory. Jesus is Jubilee, which means victory has come. Jesus, Jesus says this. Let's get verses 18 through 19. There's prophecies about him. Let's reread verses 18 through 19 one more time. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who were oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. So Jesus really came, if we look at it, in, for three different reasons. Number one we just talked about was to set the captives free. It was for freedom that Christ came. This is why where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And the spirit of the Lord has been poured out on the entirety of the earth. So what does that mean? We're free. We just don't know it yet. Captive in our own minds, not understanding that Jesus came to set us free. Jesus also came for restoration, which is the word apocatistasis which means completely restored to its original form and standing. You have already been made whole. You're dealing with things right now because you've not come to the understanding nor awareness that your identity no longer exists there, but now exists in Jesus. You have been restored in Jesus. I'm going to say this again because sometimes we act like, like we have to strive and fight for Jesus to see us as he already does. No, you are already perfected in the eyes of the Father. When Jesus said it is finished, he literally meant it is finished. And when he died and rose again, sin, death, and the devil were defeated. You have already been restored to the perfect form that you will once rise again in a new body. You see, because Jesus came to restore Eden. What is Eden? Eden is wholeness. Jesus came to restore humanity to our original state. This is why Romans chapter 5 tells us this, that we were once born into the first Adam, and in the first Adam, sin and death reigned. But now the second Adam has come, and his name is Jesus. And in Jesus, all things have been reconciled, restored, and redeemed. And that when Scripture says all things have been restored, it literally means all things have been restored. You may be on a journey of letting the flesh fade away so the spirit reigns, but you are already restored. You are already seen as whole in the eyes of the Father. Now, many of you live in condemnation because of things you've done, you cling to because you think God only sees you as your mistakes, not as who he made you to be. But I'm telling you, that is one of the biggest lies your mind could ever sit in is that God doesn't see you as fully restored. And so we hold ourselves back from the purpose and identity that he's given us because we cling on to things of past instead of the things that are new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us this, all things that are in Christ Jesus are made new. The old has faded away. The new is here. There's a new creation in Christ Jesus. You're no longer that person anymore. 
you are restored in Jesus. And the crazy thing is, you may not know everything that was taken from you is restored, but it's restored. Your mental state is restored. Like I'm, I'm trying to tell you, we have the authority now to step into what Jesus did. We, have the, we now have the authority to make a decision. I don't have to struggle with these toxic, broken behaviors because he's restored me. I don't have to live in that molestation I faced as a child. I don't have to live in that abuse I experienced as a child. I can now step into my restoration that Christ died for because those things no longer have a hold on me because Christ died for me to be made new. There's a restoration that's already taken place, but we step into that restoration. And once again, it's not always a restoration in the physical. That job that was stolen from you may never, may never come back. That marriage you lost may never come back. But you can be restored right where you are right now. You see, because God isn't just worried about giving things back. He's worried about restoring your soul. Because now when he restores your soul, you can face situations in a whole new way. So now when you step into the wilderness, you don't face it the way you used to. When you step into your wilderness season as Jesus did, you no longer give in to the temptations of the devil, but you rise victorious like Christ did. And he restores you. So therefore, when you enter the season again, you face it in a new way. Redemption. This word redemption is a polytrosis. It means completely bought back. Debt erased. Now I want to talk about this because I, I think oftentimes we view God as a, as a banking system. God is here. I sin, so therefore I'm, I'm in debt to God. Actually, you're not in debt to God. The wages of sin is death. You were in debt to death. You were never in debt to God. Jesus did not come to die so God forgives you of your debt. Jesus came to die to pay death back and then, then to rise victorious over it. You never owed God. You were never in debt to God. God actually sent Jesus to liberate you from the one you were in debt to. Jubilee is here. You no longer are in captivity to sin and death. God was not smiting Jesus on the cross. No, no, no. Jesus was God. It says God was in Jesus, reconciling the world to himself. What does that tell me? When Jesus is on the cross, God is grabbing sin from this corner of the earth. He's grabbing sin from this corner of the earth, from the highest place to the lowest place. He's pulling it into himself. And when he dies, sin dies. And when he rises again, sin does not rise with him. Only he rises because he is victorious. Jesus was not paying God back, so get that out of your head that you're in debt to the Father. The Father sent the Son to free you from the one you were in debt to. So now Jesus said it like this, I am the resurrection and the life. No one who even tastes death will actually truly die, but will live forever. Do you believe this? You were never indebted to God. You were indebted to death. Jesus is Jubilee. Let's go to the second half of that passage, starting in verse 23. And he said to them, no doubt you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we heard was done at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. But I say to you in truth, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the sky was shut up for three years and six months when a great famine came over all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow, a Gentile woman. And there was many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian, a Gentile. And all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things. And they got up and drove him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill on which their city had been built in order to throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went his way. Now, this is a huge turn, right? They're great. They're excited. Yes, it's coming, freedom. And then they try to kill him just a couple verses later. So why? Right? And so I've actually been studying all the passages where they try to kill Jesus because I really want to know why? You're praising him, now you're trying to murder him. That's a pretty big switch really quick. So Jesus is addressing the year of Jubilee, which was supposed to be only for the Jews. But then twice, Jesus excludes Jews and talks about Gentiles. You see, Jesus switches the script because God has always loved all people. 
And there are stories in the Old Testament where we see that God actually bypasses the Jews and sends his prophets to Gentiles. And Jesus brings up this point, knowing that it's very pointed, knowing that the Jews will catch on to what he's saying. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, I am Jubilee, Jubilee is here, and Jubilee is for all people. To a Jew, this was blasphemy. We are God's people. And can I tell you today that we as the church respond like the Jews? I'm, I'm going to let that sit in real quick. We hear Jubilee and we think, okay, only for us righteous Christians did Jesus come. <laughs> dust, dust off the righteousness on my shoulders a little bit. I'm too holy right now. And we respond like the Jews because we only want Jesus to pour out his blessings and freedom on us. But I'm here to tell you today, he set the world free. And it's actually not our job as Christians to preach doom and gloom to a world. It's actually our job to proclaim the risen Jesus. <laughs> it's actually not our job to focus on the power of sin, death, and the devil that, that they do not have and to proclaim the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ who is now Lord of Lords and King of Kings and reigns victorious over all. It's actually our job to do that. It's actually not our job to convict the world of sin. That's the Holy Spirit's job. So why when I walk into church, all we talk about is the power of sin that does not actually exist? And you got a bunch of Christians living in captivity in their minds, Christians living in captivity in their minds when they've already been set free. Because instead of giving them a sun consciousness, we've given them a sin consciousness. Instead of teaching people to look at their identity in Christ, we teach them to look at a past sin. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm really tired of the defeated mentality of, oh, one day in the by and by, I'll be victorious over this. No, I'm telling you, you can be victorious now. And we have a defeated church in America that preaches that the devil has power, that death has power, and that sin has power. But last time I checked, Jesus already reigns victorious as the superpower of the world, already defeated all three. Holds the championship belt, ain't nobody taking it from him. But we preach this Christianity that I'm confused about because we don't see it in Jesus. Jesus said, I am Jubilee. Did you know that when Jubilee happened, if anyone were to withhold the things that were supposed to take place, they'd be murdered? So what does that tell me? Ain't nothing holding back Jesus' jubilee. Ain't nothing stopping people from being free. Is nothing stopping people from being res restored. And nothing is stopping people from being redeemed. It's already been completed. It's already been finished. You say, Josiah, I struggle with things. Yeah, I do too. But the fact of the matter is it's because our perspective of the thing is wrong. I've come to a conclusion that now, instead of getting angry, if I take a little step back and I start to view it from the perspective of Jesus, I'm no longer angry. Why? Because it matters with the lens in which you see the world. If you view the world through a lens of it is already finished, those situations that used to seem massive aren't going to seem so big anymore. When you change your perspective, you start to live in the identity that Christ died for. This is the message we're called to take to the world. This is the message. John 10, 10, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. The abundant life. Jubilee is here. His name is Jesus and he's come for all people. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You know, I had four sermons that I was pondering on preaching today, but I'm, I'm here. We'll pause on this. I just want to be honest for a minute. I was pondering this, this Christian life and how for years I struggled with things I did not have to. I'm, I'm going to say it like that. I struggled with things I did not have to. Because in my mind, the work was kind of finished, about 50% finished, that Jesus died so I wouldn't, you know, go to hell one day, but everything else, like, I had to work for, I had to strive for, I had to, had to get to that level where I was free and I freed myself. And most Christians would say, yeah, that's not true, but we live that way. We, 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 live, we live with a defeated mindset. We live with, with a captor's mindset. We live with a slave's mindset, not a son's mindset. And we live in this world where, where we say, oh, it's the devil, rather than, oh, I just made a really stupid decision. Oh, I didn't, I didn't keep my flesh in check. Oh, I didn't set up proper boundaries to make sure I didn't do something ridiculous. Because can I tell you something? The devil has like zero power. And we, we claim things are the devil when in reality we don't want to take accountability for the mistakes we've made. 
And I came to a point of realizing in my life that there were some things going awry. And I was like, what is, why is my mental like this? And I started to realize I, I had taken down boundaries I should have kept up. And I started, oh, this isn't a spiritual attack from the devil. This is me not being careful in what I watch and what I hear and what I'm doing. And I've seen in the church, instead of claiming victory in Jesus and, and, and holding ourselves accountable for all mistakes, we use the devil as a scapegoat. Oh, I can't be at fault if it's the devil attacking me. But when you come to the conclusion that the devil has no power over anyone who believes in Jesus Christ, we can no longer use a scapegoat. We can now just take accountability for what we've done. Jesus, I'm sorry. I missed the mark. Let's keep going. And I see Christians living in that defeated mindset and saying, saying, you know what? I messed up. Listen, fess up when you mess up. Anyone who knows me knows I'm the king of this because I mess up a lot. But I'm telling you, I will fess up. I am sorry. I messed up. I should have not reacted that way. I should not have said that thing in my emotions. But guess what I do? I don't lord it over myself because sin, death, and the devil are not my Lord. Jesus is my Lord. And last time I checked, he said, you are forgiven. You are redeemed. You have been restored. And my king says good things about me. So I refuse to live in the bad things of the past. But it's an identity issue. You're not a horrible, nasty sinner. You're not. Guess what? You love Jesus. Guess what? He loves you too. Even in your darkest moments, even when you mess up the most, even when you do things that you are not proud of, he does not rescind his love from you. And the reason I'm saying all this is because I've just, people say we, who knows what the gospel, the word the gospel, what does gospel mean? The good news of Jesus Christ. The, the what? The good news of Jesus Christ. Then why are all of our sermons so doom and gloom? We are here to pronounce the good news of Jesus Christ to the world. We're about to read what that even looks like. But Christians sit and y'all, we're so miserable all the time. John 10, 10, Jesus said this, I have come to give life and life more abundantly. I know about seven Christians off the top of my head who I believe are living the abundant life. And I know a bunch of Christians. Because we've been so duped into this mindset that the things of old still have a hold on us and that Jesus is not truly victorious here and now. Because we've been taught that we look to the book of Revelation that we think is futuristic all the time and we look to the end of time that one day Jesus will be victorious. But I'm telling you, I refuse to believe that one day Jesus will be victorious. He's victorious now, and I'm going to live the life he died for. If I'm not living the life he died for, then I'm living a life in vain. If I'm not living the abundant life he died for and rose for and lives for, then I'm living my life in vain. If I live a defeated life, I'm living my life in vain. Because you were made for more than this. You, you, you've been duped into believing that sin has any hold on you, that death has any hold on you, that the devil can do anything to you. He can't. And that's not the message we're called to proclaim. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Wait, what? Not counting their trespasses? Wow. And he has committed to us this word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What's the message we proclaim to the world? The work is finished. You've already been reconciled. Now step into a place of reconciliation. This is the message we proclaim to the world. We've made it so many things except this. We've made it so many things except Jesus is enough. And I'm here to tell you today, Jesus is Jubilee. And we should be running around to all of our friends, all of our family, not condemning them, not judging them, but saying, hey, the year of Jubilee is here, and it is now, and his name is Jesus. You see, but we get uncomfortable with that message sometimes. 
when you take away the judgment and you take away the condemnation, we get uncomfortable. Because in the back of our minds, that little vengeance aspect Jesus took out still remains. And we don't want Jesus to forgive everybody because you've got to earn that forgiveness. We don't want Jesus' love to be poured out on everybody because I earned that. Look how righteous I am. First off, you're not righteous at all. Only through Jesus Christ is anything good. <laughs> and actually being holy, I don't know what we've made holiness such a weird contrast concept. To be holy is to be set apart. It, it, it just means you're not doing what everybody else is doing. It means you're not living in the toxic cycles everybody else is living in. It means you're not hurting people like the rest of the world is hurting people. To be holy oftentimes looks like forgiveness. You want to really be holy? You really want to be set apart? Forgive those who stabbed you in the back. You really want to be holy? Pray for those who curse you. You really want to be holy? Love those who obviously hate you. You want to be holy? Stop being cheesy. Stop thinking you got to wear a three-piece suit to be holy. When in reality, Sunday best ain't in your Bible. But forgiveness is. And you see, we got to stop playing this church game where we scream holiness, but we, we're just as mean as everybody else. We're just as vengeful. We're just as nasty. We're warmongers and fearmongers, and we're just like the world, but we claim holiness because we dress different and we go to a, a, a holy place on Sundays. But I'm sorry, I can't live that way, and you shouldn't either. We were called to more than this. We were actually called to be ambassadors of Christ in the earth. Not just me. Every single one of you are an ambassador. What does that mean? That means when you walk and talk, you're actually representing Jesus. That's a really big deal. And so if Jesus wasn't heaping condemnation and judgment on people, what should you not do? If Jesus was not attacking people and being horribly nasty to people, what should you not do? You see, because we're ambassadors of Christ. Scripture says it's as if God is crying out through us. And this is the beautiful part of it. The Father is not crying out, you better turn or you are going to burn. The Father is crying out, be reconciled to me. Because I'm the one that Jubilee lies. I'm the one where freedom comes from. I'm the one where you're restored. I'm the one where you're redeemed. Come to me. And I believe when Jesus made the statement, this passage has been fulfilled in your, 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 very, your very sight, your very ears has been fulfilled before you. I believe that was a statement for all of eternity. I believe Jubilee is here. I believe Jubilee is now. I believe you don't have to settle for anything less. I believe you've been liberated. I believe you've been restored. And I believe you've been redeemed. Whether you're living like it or not, you can choose to be a slave or you can choose to be a son. But I'm here to tell you today, you are sons and daughters, not slaves. You see, because Colossians 1, 13 to 14 tells us this, that when Papa saw us stuck in the, in the dominion of darkness, when he saw us stuck in, in death and sin and, and the devil had control out of us, he came for us. You see, that scripture tells me that Papa always cared about us. You see, because Papa was not content with his sons and daughters living as slaves. He was not happy with what was happening, so he came to fix the problem. And Jesus comes on the scene and he says, I am Jubilee. It's come, it's here, it's now. It's not doom and gloom, but we actually rejoice in the fact that it's here. And we as the church, uh, out of all people, should be the happiest people on the freaking planet. I mean, who has more reason to be happy and joyful than us? But this realization only comes when you realize Jesus is already victorious. You see, because the travesty is, even in my own life, we only talk about the resurrection on Easter. But when Jesus rose from the grave, everything was submitted under his feet. And he is victorious over all things. And he is the head over all things. I wasn't going to read this, but turn, turn to Colossians 1 with me. I'm going to read the Messiah poem real quick. I know I've gone longer than usual today, but, but man, I just... I'm tired of seeing people struggle when they don't have to. Oh my gosh, if someone would have preached this to me when I was a porn addict, oh my gosh. If someone would have told this that I, I could step out of that because he's already done the work, oh my God. That, but no, I was told you got to fight and struggle with your sin your whole life and one day maybe you'll be free for a little bit. If someone would have preached this message to me that Jesus is already victorious, you see, I can't sit by while captives stay captives. I'm here to proclaim that the captives have been set free. Colossians 1. 
starting in verse 15, if I can ever get there. There we go. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's also the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him I say whether things on earth or things in heaven. Jesus is superior. I'm going to say it again. Jesus is superior. Nothing can even come to his level nor even close to it. Those things you think you have to struggle and battle with, yeah, for a season it will be a battle because you have to change your mind. This is why we renew our minds daily. It's a struggle in your mind, not actually in your flesh. This entire Christian battle starts here. And for a while, it may be a struggle, but once you change your perspective, it won't be anymore. But Jesus is superior. Will you please rise with me? Jesus said, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell cannot withstand it. See, some, some say prevail against it, but the actual Greek says cannot withstand it. So what does that tell me, man? Darkness has nothing against the light. See, we've got me those communion elements. And I believe a season is coming, and I believe it's already here, that we're having a Jesus revolution of who Jesus truly is. And I believe the facades we believe are being taken away. And the truth of Jesus' superiority, the truth of his might is being restored in his church. That for the first 1,500 years of the church, what was preached is that Jesus is victorious over all things. That death, sin, and the devil have been defeated and Christ reigns as victor over all things. And I'm here to restore that message in this church. That we will walk in victory because Jesus is victorious. Jesus, as we prepare to partake of communion, of the Eucharist, of your body and your blood, I pray today that as we partake, that there's a special revelation imparted in us of what it means to be joined to your victory. That we're not set apart from you somewhere, but we are the body of Christ in the earth. And that when you are a part of the body of Christ, Freedom reigns, restoration reigns, and redemption reigns because nothing can hold Jesus down. The grave tried to and it failed. The devil tried to and he failed. Sin tried to and it failed. Nothing holds the victorious Jesus in the grave. Nothing holds him back. And that when we are joined to your body, we live this victorious life. So Jesus, go ahead and start working in our minds. And right now, Jesus, I pray that you start to take away our wrong perspectives. You start to take away lenses that are incorrect and we find ourselves living victorious over things we never thought we would because you already set us free. The work has already been finished. You've done it all. Now we bask in the reality, the objective truth that you are the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and nothing can hold anything, no weight to you because you are King, you are Lord. You are before all, you are in all, you are after all, you are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. We thank you, Jesus, that all things are restored and reconciled in you and that you see us as your good creation. Eden has been restored and you love us more than we could ever imagine. In our worst times and our best times, Jesus, you love us and you care for us and you provide for us. I believe Jubilee is coming in our souls. Jubilee, freedom, restoration, and redemption is coming in our lives in ways we never imagined when we believe Jubilee is here. We thank you, Jesus. Section on my right, you may come up and grab your communion elements.
All right, middle section, you may come up. All right, section on my left, you may come and grab your communion elements. Lord Jesus, we thank you for giving your body for us, for laying down your life, the ultimate sacrificial act of love for us. Knowing what awaited you, but knowing what awaited us if you didn't, and going through with it for us. Jesus, I just pray that as we partake today, that we start to live in the jubilee that you came to establish, a constant jubilee, a a perspective of jubilee, a lifestyle of jubilee where joy just swells out of us like living water to all of those around us who are parched. That joy and peace flows out of us. Jesus, you told us you would give us the living water that lives inside of us. And I just pray that that jubilee, that goodness starts to flow out of us, Jesus. That we may give hope in the desert lands that we would cling to hope in the desert lands, that Jubilee is here even when our outside situations don't look at us, look like it and, and betray us and hurt us, that we would live Jubilee on the inside. The Jubilee of the soul, unaffected, but pursuing you, Jesus. That even if none follow, we go after you. Luke 22, verses 17. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves, for I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You may take, break, and eat. Jesus, we thank you for your blood, the portal into this new covenant life. The new covenant life is the life of victory and freedom. Jesus, we thank you. We don't have to live as slaves, but we can live as sons and daughters in our new identity because anything that enters Jesus comes out as a new creation. We are a new creation. The old things are gone. The new things are here. We don't cling to the past, but we cling to what is coming, what is new. Jesus says, likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Take and drink. And Jesus, as we have just partaken of this symbol of your blood and your body, I now believe that through your Holy Spirit, it's also supernatural that Jesus, as we, can, as we are a part of your body and we ingest your body, that Jubilee is here because you are Jubilee. And all those who are in Christ Jesus are free, restored, and redeemed. We give you praise. 
give you honor. And we rejoice in the name above all names, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. Yeshua HaMashiach. We worship you, Jesus. Amen and amen.